the next day, a friend calls and you're like, hey, did you hear that there were these unmarked federal agents that are kidnapping people? And I, I, I honestly didn't even know how to respond to that. After a long hiatus of taking a COVID break because nobody's going anywhere and spending the summer in a one-bedroom apartment with my wife and two kids in, guess where, downtown Portland, I am back talking about whatever the hell this is. The first and most relevant topic in this, what we'll call it a second season, I'll act like I'm Malcolm Gladwell and actually get paid to do this. I just took a break and now we're doing this again. But for the first time in the history of my life, outside of living next to where there's a massive hurricane, I and my family lived close to a major news story this summer. And for my friends and family that know me well enough to know that we were in Portland all summer, I got probably 20 to 25 texts of, are you guys okay? Like what's what, what's actually going on up there? So the combination of us living probably four or five blocks from ground zero of the Portland protests, everything that went on, and the fact that many of the information sources and thought leaders in this country really, 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 like really got it wrong. Oddly enough, of all the things that I saw, the one news source that got it right was John Oliver. If you ever watched Last Week Tonight on HBO, there was an episode where one of his people I guess you'd call it a correspondent, was talking about what was happening in Portland. And he was spot on exactly, honestly giving an account of what was happening in Portland, which we'll get to in a little bit, but it wasn't as much as what was being reported. You would think that we lived in, I don't know, a war-torn sub-Saharan African country where genocide and explosions were happening all over the city based on what was being reported. And I was there with my four and six-year-old daughters and my wife right in the middle of it. The combination of having a decent story to tell and feeling like most of the people telling that story got it wrong, I was compelled to pop on and share my two cents about our summer in Portland, which we'll get to some more of that in later episodes. But on this one, answering the question, what was it actually like living in downtown Portland? So the short answer to that is it's not nearly as bad or as eventful as what was reported. And the false narrative that was painted, I think, is a byproduct of two sides with an agenda that are both racing to the bottom. So you have the law and order right talking about, like, can you see this? Can you, can you believe that this Democratic-led city is being burned to the ground and the police are doing nothing. Like, can you believe this? Do you want this for your city and for your state? And then you have the left-wing media saying, look how divided we are. Look what's happening here. Can you believe that this is happening in America and we're this divided? We got this president and his administration have screwed up our country to the point where we're burning our own cities to the ground and we're, we're so divided and this place is a mess. So both parties in this conversation are incentivized to paint a very, very negative, unrealistic picture of what downtown Portland was like. Hey, guess what? We were there and I've got stories, so let's talk about it. The first thing that I do want to address is how in the hell did the widest major city in America become ground zero for the Black Lives Matter movement? 
I do love Portland because they love a cause. Sometimes those causes are misguided. They really like to claim moral high ground. Sometimes uh, attack a cause with more vigor than it probably needs or is probably justified for that particular cause, but good on them. That's great. Some of these things, I'm painting with a broad stroke. 98% of the city is fairly normal and tame. There is a very vocal minority that makes it on a news camera, much like some of the things that happened this summer. There is an overblown story as to what's actually happening. But all that being said, the ongoing joke in Portland that there are more Black Lives Matter signs than actual black people is probably a true statement. There is this thought of, in a cause like this or in a situation like this, do you want to do good or do you want to feel good? And I think where most of Portland probably landed is somewhere in the middle. There were massive groups of white people that are educated, suburban, or in gentrified communities where they actually pushed the minority population out by driving up home prices, taking over public schools, and driving up rents to the point where the traditional businesses there couldn't survive. So the irony of a gentrified white neighborhood protesting and holding up signs as if they care about the marginalized black community is definitely a case of I want to feel good rather than actually doing good. But I do think that there is something productive that will come out of some of this coverage and some of these protests in the sense that I need to probably be slightly more informed on this particular topic, but I would venture to guess that no-knock warrants are going to be in our country's rear view. I think that the way that chokeholds are practiced in our police force will also drastically change. So there is something to a groundswell of activity, a raising awareness that is absolutely helpful. And I think the actual care and thought is genuine. There just needs to be a dose of perspective when you have that conversation. So that is the intro. Let's just get right down to our experience in downtown Portland as a family of four, my wife, my four-year-old daughter, my six-year-old daughter, and I crammed in a 504-square-foot apartment for about three months. To preface this conversation, let's talk about what downtown Portland is like in a normal atmosphere. There is a homelessness problem that is a product of a lot of unintended consequences and good intentions in Portland. I'm not going to dig into all of that because I'm not as informed as I should be, and that's not what we're here to talk about. However, there are a bunch of tents on the sidewalk. There are a lot of situations where you will walk by and see a needle or a package of needles on the sidewalk. You'll see a grown man peeing on the sidewalk. You will see human shit on the sidewalk. I'm not saying it happens every day, but over the course of the summer, it's something that we saw. And it raised some interesting questions with my kids. I think that those are good and productive conversations to have. It humanizes a lot of issues. We made friends with a homeless person that was at the park that we went to all the time. And um, it's really easy to just say, like, oh, like there shouldn't be those tents on the sidewalk. That's bullshit. Also, they're people. They're people. And I find myself in this weird position of I don't want to see or be walking with my daughter and see a grown man peeing on the sidewalk. 
So what's the solution to that? Like, hey, get out of here. Okay, where are you going to go? Where are they going to take them? At this point, the slippery slope of allowing homeless people to sleep in tents on the sidewalk in parts of town, which is funny, the second you enter into the Pearl District, the tents disappear. It's a bit of a mess, uh, but there are homeless tents on a lot of streets in downtown Portland. Not every street is rampant, but you're going to see homeless people everywhere. You are going to see, um, much like you would see a brass band in New Orleans, if you happen to be there, anywhere you are, you'll just see a parade or a brass band playing. You might see a protest in downtown Portland. It's not unusual to see a protest there. It's just kind of par for the course. It's peaceful. It's fine. The videos that you see of some Antifa guy going crazy or they're absolutely exaggerated and overreported. But other than that, it's a city. It's a city. If you go into the heart of a city in most of America, you're going to see some things and hear some things that are a bit unsavory. That's fine. That's part of being in a city. For example, one night when we were there at 2 a.m., it was actually before our kids got there, but the weather was nice. We opened the windows to our apartment. About 2 a.m., we hear a, Fuck you! Fuck you! From probably a block and a half to two blocks away. That went on. That exchange probably had eight to ten of those. Just back and forth. There was one, Get a grip! Mixed in there. And my wife and I just looked at each other. We're like, what are we what are we doing? Like, what, what is happening? And that's just part of living in a city downtown. Some of that may be indicative of Portland. I don't think that that's the only city in America where you're going to hear that at 2 a.m. I don't know who those characters were. It might have been a drunk guy. It might have been a protester. It might have been a homeless guy. I don't know. But you're going to see some things when you're in the middle of a city that you forget happen if you live too long on a cul-de-sac. All right, so that's kind of setting the stage as to what downtown Portland is like. We arrived on May 31st. I believe May 30th was the National Day of Protest or the National Day of Demonstration following the release of the George Floyd video. That Saturday, some things happened. There were some real things that happened, and we were able to walk around and see some of the aftermath. There were probably a dozen buildings that we noticed that had bricks thrown through the window. The Target downtown had bricks thrown through almost all of the windows. The Safeway, a half of a block from our apartment, had one brick thrown through one window. A lot of places were boarded up before that, so I don't know to what extent that was a reaction. And windows were broken, so the Apple store boarded up, or a shop or restaurant or whatever would have boarded up their windows before that day. But that day, there were some things that happened. Throughout the first three nights that we were there, that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday night, there was a curfew on this, in the city, meaning that I believe at 7 or 8 p.m., everyone had to be back and at home. There were patrol cars circling blocks, kind of making sure everything was okay, making sure people were home. They'd kind of go by with the megaphones and announce, it's now 7 p.m., you need to go home. I forget the exact time, but I think it was either 7 or 8. So you could see it. You could hear helicopters above. I don't know if those were news helicopters or police helicopters, but for a few days, 
there was a real nervous feeling in downtown. Now, if you cross the Willamette River and get to the east side of Portland, it's much more residential. And I don't think that there was the tension there. It's all confined to a small space near the courthouse, near Pioneer Square, where things were happening. However, there was a curfew across the entire city. I believe on that Wednesday, Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, had lifted that curfew. There were still protests. The following weekend, that Friday and Saturday night, there was this massive outpouring of protests, peaceful protests throughout the city. I don't think that there were any broken windows, rioting, looting. None of that happened following that first night, which we weren't there. I just was there the following day and saw six to 12 buildings that had broken windows. So that following weekend, it felt like every neighborhood in all of Portland was out protesting from the crowd downtown to the wealthy white collar neighborhoods. There were people walking around with signs and it kind of felt there were, there was part of it that felt really cool that a city had come together, said, Hey, this thing that happened is not okay. Things need to change. And we're all in this together. That did feel cool. It's it's also in the midst of a very compliant masking and social distancing and staying inside city. Like I said before, the city of Portland as a whole really likes to claim moral high ground over others. So they were compliant, very compliant when it came to wearing masks and staying home. But for the protest, everybody was out. So the ghost town neighborhoods kind of felt alive again. And there was this buzz of like, hey, everybody's going to protest. Everybody's going to say this is not okay. And that was fun. Very, very peaceful, very tame. Everybody was kind of on the same side. It didn't feel like anybody was going around yelling out their window obscenities at people protesting. There was a cool feeling. So that happened the following weekend. After that, there wasn't much of anything going on. There really wasn't. There were dwindling crowds downtown. And here's where I really want to punch on the point of what was happening in downtown Portland. Everything that happened all summer, with the exception of those first two weekends, everything that happened every night for 100 straight days of protest or however long it's been reported, everything was confined to one city block. You see things on the news and it says that Rome is burning, essentially. And there was nothing. I mean, to say nothing, there might have been a couple of isolated things here and there. But as far as I know, there was nothing outside of one single city block. Once we got past the initial push of all the protests, I don't know if it was two weeks, three weeks, five weeks, but it was kind of like, 50 to 100 people, maybe a couple hundred people in one city block that would gather for a few hours at night, totally peaceful, nothing going on at all, kind of a nothing to see here deal. And it was being reported like a nuclear bomb was going off every night. So you'd see pictures of, all right, so there's homeless people, so there's a graffiti, so there's boarded up windows. That was all there from the first week in June. Nobody went back behind and cleaned up all the graffiti. But you would see images of tear gas and boarded up windows and graffiti and, and whatever shot that that particular news outlet wanted to cherry pick for their story to show 
can you, can you see can you see what's happening? Can you see how terrible this is? Portland's burning. It's awful. It's overblown nonsense. And it makes me want to never believe anything that I ever see on the news again. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. I hate the term fake news, but it's fake news. It makes me want to never believe anything that I see on the news again as it pertains to a negative story or some tragedy or disaster. I've lived through Hurricane Harvey, felt pretty real, things seem credible. It's hard to fake weather. It either floods or it doesn't, or you get a certain amount of rainfall or the winds are a certain miles per hour. It's hard to fake that. But holy hell, a lot of people faked some stories when it came to what was actually going on in Portland this summer. Now, there were a few kind of resurgent moments when the the federales, the, I don't know, the, this is what really just blows my mind, is that in the middle of all this, and we're, we're within walking distance, a handful of blocks to see everything and see what's going on, we walk down and we see, oh, okay, Nobody's there or like, ah, there, you know, there's a small crowd just right over there on that particular city block. And then the next day, a friend calls and like, hey, did you hear that there were these unmarked federal agents that are kidnapping people? I honestly didn't even know how to respond to that. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it's true or if it's not true, but I know that I, I walked down the street and everything was pretty normal. So there may be some isolated incidents where like, well, this happened. Like, how can you say that this is overblown? I don't know. I don't know. There may be some isolated incidents that can prove a single point or be some sort of anecdotal evidence. I suppose that's what I'm offering as well. But we were there all summer. We'd lived there all summer. So to that point, there was a bit of a resurgence when there were the like, I don't know, the Trump federal agents or God knows what that we're going in and it's kind of like the the rash on your arm if you scratch it it flares up if you don't scratch it it goes away so there was a little bit of that since trump was kind of poking his finger at the city that the crowds got slightly larger during that time but my complete and absolute takeaway when it comes to all of that there there are new items of news being introduced throughout the summer if cameras are always there and somebody's got to have a story and people kept showing up at night. It just wasn't as many people as you think. And it was on one city block. So I'm sure that there are some things that happened that were worth reporting. I just don't know if I can believe any of it. I really don't because so much was made of what happened. And for the love of everything, I was there and I saw it with my own freaking eyes. And there was this weird dynamic of, oh, everything seems to be fine. And then somebody calls me the next day. I'm like, did you hear about whatever? I'm like, no, I didn't hear about that. Should I be worried? Like my kids are here. Should we be worried? Anyway, I'm talking in circles a little bit. I think you understand my point. I wanted to give our perspective of being in downtown Portland. At no point did I ever feel unsafe for me or for my kids or for my wife. Nothing was happening. Like nothing was happening. Now, of course, living in a city and walking by homeless tents and having curious kids, there were a few moments that we look back on and have a good laugh. And I think it adds some perspective to my kids that we live in this little suburban bubble where everybody drives an SUV and 
like my, oh my God, my daughter, we were going to a friend's house a month ago and she said, daddy, do you think their pool's heated? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if their pool is heated. And she said, well, if their pool's not heated, I, I don't think I can swim in it. And I thought I'm raising a terrible person. I'm raising a terrible entitled human being. So the fact that they know that people are in a tent or sleeping on a sidewalk and that not everyone lives life exactly like they do is a very good thing. In that dynamic, you're also going to have some educational moments where you get to teach your kids a few things about why is there a needle. Like my daughter Lucy has to be on blood thinners from time to time due to a vascular anomaly. Hey, those shots look like my shots. Yeah, let me tell you what those shots are, Lucy. It's not Lovenox. It's not your blood thinner. There were some interesting and productive conversations that came out of downtown Portland all summer, but none of that was born out of unrest, a loss of civility, danger, fear. It was just normal life downtown. A lot of nights we, were, we went to bed before anything even started or happened anyway. You know, the most that my kids saw were a bunch of Black Lives Matter signs. There were, because very compliant COVID city, there were some car protests where they would essentially shut down a street and just drive and honk horns. And you'd see people at restaurants kind of stand up and give their support or stay sitting or kind of shake it off, have whatever reaction they would have. But that was kind of the extent that we were sitting outside at a brewery and some cars drove by and they honked and they would say, what was that? And they would, we would say, that's a protest. And they would say, what's a protest? And we got to explain what a protest is and why it's good that people can protest and what they're protesting about and why it's not fair that certain people get treated differently or as if they're less than because of the way that they look or where they were born or whatever it may be. So there were some moments that came out of that, but I just want to reiterate, nothing was really going on. There was a small gathering in one city block or one half of one city block for a couple of hours at night on most nights. That was it. That was it. That's my story. We will be back with what we're calling season two, I guess. Um, we'll do some episodes on our summer in the Northwest. Just excited to be back in the lab talking about going places again. It was a weird, strange time for traveling or talking about traveling. And we used that opportunity to get the heck out of Texas in the summer and cram in an apartment and enjoy better weather, fun stuff to do outside, and, um, and a lower, lower case count for a good portion of the summer as well. I look forward to sharing some of our stories and stories from other friends and folks that I reach out to. As always, you know the deal. Go follow us on Instagram. Uh, go ahead and hit us with five stars on iTunes. And if you have a story worth telling, reach out. I'd love to chat about it and have you on. Thanks for listening.